and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. In this podcast, we talk about the word mentor. So we're going to look at the etymology behind that word. So it first came to mean wise advisor or sage counsellor, probably through Greek mythology. Mentor was a close friend of Odysseus, who placed Mentor in charge of his son Telemachus while he was away fighting at the Trojan War. And the goddess of wisdom Athena took on the form of Mentor in order to help Telemachus stand up for himself. The name perhaps ultimately means advisor, as it is derived from the noun mentos, which means intent, spirit or passion. This morning, I'm really chuffed to welcome to our podcast, Emily Weston. Emily is a Key Stage 2 3 transition teacher, fascinating role. She's a blogger. She's the founder of the Teacher Self Care Sunday Twitter hashtag and now has almost 25,000 followers on Twitter. So, frankly, Emily, it does make you a bit of an influencer. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to our podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. We're really pleased to have you. Really fascinated to know, I think maybe a bit nosy, but I really love to know a little bit about what makes everybody follow the path that they're on. And so can you tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you into teaching? Was it always a passion or was it always something you wanted to do? Yeah, for me, it was it was what I've wanted to do since the age of four, really. Um, I always used to play schools at home. And I was one of those people who not only got my parents to buy me the workbooks from the shops, but actually made them rub out the answers so I could do it again. (laughs) That's a dream child right there. (laughs) I always wanted to teach. And I had a really fantastic primary school teacher that actually encouraged me more. He was called Mr. Gibbons. Shout out, Mr. Gibbons. He was fantastic. He just, I had him in year two and year three. And then I went to secondary school. And actually, it was my PE teacher, Mr. Day, who was my biggest inspiration to want to keep going. And I toyed with being a PE teacher for a while because I was really sporty. But I settled back on primary teaching because I just like the variation that you get to do. And I just found it a lot more interesting at the time. Obviously, I teach in secondary now, but primary is my first passion. Yeah. Well, shout out to Mr. Day as well. I wonder how many of us in the profession are in it because we were inspired by one of our own teachers. Yeah, I think from speaking to most of my friends, there's always that teacher that stands out or there's always a teacher that really inspired you personally. Actually, funny enough, at my current school, I was talking to one of the senior leaders and she was talking about a teacher that really inspired her. And when we looked her up, she was actually working with my old favourite teacher as well, with Mr Gibbons. So that was... No, that's a real coincidence. Yeah, a really funny coincidence. But I think if you ask anybody in teaching, there'll be somebody that inspired them in some way or another, whether that was to become a good teacher so they could have someone they didn't or whether that was to follow in the footsteps of someone. I think there's always an inspiration there. Absolutely. So were you a bit sad like me and lined up all your teddy bears and used to take a register? Because I have to confess, I may well have done that quite a lot as a kid. Yeah, I, I did. I remember sitting in the dining room and I used to stand at the front and make my brother sit at the back. And <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> quite right. And I would do the register. I absolutely loved it. I was a bit of a coaster through school, though. I knew I was quite bright I suppose I was always told I was quite bright so I ended up coasting in secondary school Mm. so but that's sort of given me the the knowledge to be able to pass it on to children like don't do what I did work hard now it'll be better later so I loved school but I didn't put the effort in that I should have because I I knew I was fairly good at it yeah which I guess can be just as tricky sometimes as not being good at something and all these elements of our own stories are so important aren't they in forming our own teacher path and the person we want to be in and how we want to inspire others 
others? Yeah, I, there's one story that I trot out all the time where I did my PE GCSE and I finished the exam, the two hour exam in 45 minutes. And I, I just read through it and I couldn't find any other mark to answer. I've answered all the questions. Mm. And the second I walked out of the exam, it, I can remember the question. It was, what is a socioeconomic group? And I walked out and I was like, Oh yeah, it's to do with money. And it, it haunts me to this day because I was one mark off an A star. Oh, and I remember Emily. my teacher looking at me the whole time like, you've done it in 45 minutes, do some more. But I physically couldn't write anything else in that exam. I didn't know the answers. So I said to the children, every year I tell them, read through the paper, like read over it again and again, even if you finish early, because that one mark, it will haunt you the rest of your life. So there's always that story that's happened to us that we can pass on to children. And it makes you more human to them as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, they need to see our upsides and our downsides and all that we we get wrong, because that's how we learn, isn't it? The minute we get something wrong. Yeah. So now you're a transition teacher, which absolutely fascinates me. I love thinking about what it means to work between primary and secondary, you know, that, that slight vague area of what does it look like to move from year six to year seven what happens in that summer what on earth are we doing in year six after Easter what's happening when they get to us in year seven because they don't seem to be as good as they were in year six you know there's a slightly shimmery veil over that time yeah that we're constantly trying to unpick and that's your whole role so how did you get into that role so I spent the last four years of my primary career in year six and I saw, I saw a range of different transitions, really. In the first school, I was in a small village school. The children mostly went to one school unless they didn't get in. Hmm. So I saw transition in that way. And actually, I felt that the secondary school didn't really contact us until it got to July or June. And I thought, that doesn't seem right to me. Hmm. And then I went into a new school. So I had the first ever year six cohort as my class. And they went to a range of schools. There were four different grammar schools. Because it was a new school, they'd come from out of area. Yeah. So there were quite a few schools there. And that led to me thinking, actually, how can we make a better secondary transition? So that was sort of where my passion started. I, I got into it in my first year six classes, but it was in my my third and fourth year six classes where I really tried to think about how can we improve this for them. It's For me, I think you see a lot for the SEN children and you see a lot for the child, gifted and talented. So they have those subject days where they get to go up and do things. But it was the middle children. And I just thought there's so many wallflower children that just sort of get missed out and that that was sort of my passion because I would have been one of those probably because I I was quite painfully shy as a child which people wouldn't believe now but it was them that I wanted to do it for so I worked in a trust and I happened to present to the secondary school within our trust and I went over to do moderation and things like that and they actually contacted me they wanted a primary teacher specifically to do the role because it's okay for a secondary teacher to do it, but actually they wanted that collaboration. Yeah, I think it's really valuable to pull on the expertise of our primary colleagues within secondary, yeah. And even as a primary teacher, I did it as well. I, I went and observed. I asked my head teacher, can I go over to the secondary school and observe year seven? I went over to them. I asked for advice. The secondary, they were a new school as well, actually. So the deputy got a working group together with primary to see how can we get children year seven ready. And that's where the year seven ready lessons I've developed came from. So for me as well, I think being in touch with certain secondary teachers helped me see how valuable collaboration is. And actually that as well drove my passion about transition. Yeah, It's all about collaboration for me. You mentioned there's some year seven ready materials. I know that along with these podcasts, we have a little box of delights that people can access. Are we able to have some of those in there, do you think? Yeah, I'm more than happy to provide those. That's absolutely fine. Brilliant. So go and go and check that out when you've listened to this podcast. Go and have a look at that box of delights because I'm sure Emily's resources will be really valuable. 
Okay, so you got into this role of transition through an inspired trust by the sounds of it, who were thinking about joining up that thinking between key stage two and three. And I was looking in the tests actually about the transition role because I thought, well, I wonder how many there are. And it said there were 125 as of whatever the date is today, 23rd of April, there are 125 transition roles. And I started to scroll down and almost all of them were in, in secondary. And I just thought if, you, if you're going to write a little job description, what would it say? What do we need in a transition teacher? I think, again, the key word is collaboration. I think it has to be somebody who is willing to work with primary colleagues or if you're a primary colleague to work with secondary. I think if you're not going to do that, you can't be successful at the role. It has to be about understanding all year groups. And actually to understand transition, you have to look from lower down. Mm. So how do they transition from EYFS to infants, from infants to juniors, etc. And I think the second thing that I put on there is you have to be passionate about it. I think it's so easy to take over transition, but actually you have to have the passion to want to be there for all of the children and to be innovative as well. I think all the things that I've done, although I've heard of other schools that have done them since, I hadn't heard of things like the secondary week that I did where I put all of year six onto a secondary timetable. And that for me was my key moment really, I suppose, in transition that really made me realise that it was something that I might be good at. Mm. So it's collaboration, innovation and passion, I think would be the three key things you need to have in that job advert. Yeah, imagination is, is great. And innovation, you know, just thinking outside the box, isn't it? And, and coming up with things that are going to really engage our young people and help them make those next steps. Yeah, and giving them a people voice as well, I would say. It's, it's important to give the, the pupils a voice and you have to listen to them. So everything that I've developed really has come from even an, an off-the-cuff comment that yeah. one of the children has said has made me think, actually, maybe I could do that. So yeah, definitely giving the pupils a voice in their own transition. Great advice, Emily. Absolutely. Pupil voice is is so valuable, isn't it? Making sure we know what our children are telling us. I was looking at one of your blogs and you have a lot of advice for NQTs. And obviously our NQTs are in a a strange position currently. But for our PGT students getting jobs and going into teaching in September 2021, what would your advice be for them, for those NQTs in this strange time? So the reason that I'm so passionate as well about NQTs is because I had a really awful NQT year yeah. at a school. I ended up handing in my notice in November. In the November? Yeah. Wow. I obviously took it back and ended up staying because they, they then offered me a lot of support. Mm. But I think my advice to NQTs would be go with your gut feeling. If you feel like something isn't right, you need to speak up for yourself. Like don't think just because you're an NQT, you don't have the right to say anything. I know I felt a lot like that. But actually, you should still speak up for yourself. You should still question if things are right. Just because it's the way it's done doesn't mean it's done correctly. Mm. And I think make sure you find the school for you. If you have a tricky NQT year, don't doubt yourself. Make sure that you at least try another school and find the right work environment. You know, I see a lot of NQTs putting, I've got my dream job at my dream school. And actually, I thought that when I started my job, I thought it was the perfect school for me and it turned out not to be. So I would say just look out for yourself, know your own self-worth and ask for help as well. And that doesn't mean just in your school. Twitter is invaluable, I think, for NQTs. Yes, yeah. Get that advice, get that support and, and have somebody that you know that you can ask and will be honest with you as well. So if you've done something wrong, they can say to you, actually, maybe you actually did that incorrectly. Next time you could do this. Yeah. Because you don't just want an echo chamber where everyone agrees with you. You need to have somebody who's there to be solid honest advice I think as well so not very self-worth and that would be my biggest advice. Given that you're working in both settings so you're really familiar with both primary and secondary Mm -hmm. do you think that there's a difference for our NQTs in primary as opposed to our NQTs in in secondary? I think my experience with both is I think for me seeing how NQT and PPA time works I found that a struggle actually being in secondary I I wonder if you're used to it already because that's what you're you're trained in with secondary 
it might not feel such a big deal. But with having split NQT and PPA time, mm. I actually find that quite tricky in secondary to just have an hour here or there. Whereas in primary, you get that set time where you get to sit and just work on something. Mm. From seeing how it works, I think I think that. And also in a secondary, again, I've been told it's quite normal in secondary by my colleagues, but SLT are much more visible in a primary school as well and much more approachable because they're always there. Mm. Whereas in a secondary, obviously, it's a, it's a bigger school. There's more of them. They are less visible. And I think those two things probably do make a difference to an NQT because it's it's all about the support you're getting, isn't it? So I think that would be the main differences for me, having seen both. Yeah. Great advice. Thanks, Emily. And what about the, the mentors of those NQTs? What can they do to really support NQTs in 2021 who've had, frankly, a crazy PGCE year? Yeah, I don't envy their year at all. I think it must have been really tricky. I think the best thing that you can do is make sure you're approachable. So if they come and ask for your advice, it's probably taken them a lot to do that. So make some time for them. Or if you if you really don't have time, just say, I'm really not free now, but come and see me at this point. Give them that other option. I think let them make their own mistakes. I've been PGC mentor to a lot of students and they've all fed back to me that they were given quite a lot of freedom. So I said to them, as long as the children are, are learning, I'm happy for you to try it out your own way. And I think that's the same with NQTs. You have to let them find their own teaching style. So it's about mm. giving them the freedom to find that and not just displaying your own. And I think as well, just if you don't know the answer, be honest about it. Sometimes you get asked questions and you don't know the answer. You don't have to know all the answers if you're an NQT mentor. So, you know, you can send them to other people for advice and encourage that as well. Encourage them to go and speak to other people, not just you. Yeah. Well, it's a good model, isn't it? Yeah. Good model of how we want NQTs to to be. Yeah, exactly. So my main advice is always, I think because of the experience I had at my first school, my advice is usually more on the personable level and, and how you can treat somebody to make them feel comfortable and supported and I think as long as you feel as though you're supporting that NQT and again give them a voice ask them what works for them so when I've had PGC students as well I've always said look are you ready to do this or would you like a little bit more time Mm. and one girl she wasn't supposed to do whole class teaching for another two weeks but I personally thought she was ready and I said do you want to do it and she was like yeah I've wanted to do it for ages so I let her do it and it was a fantastic lesson obviously there were things to improve but it was actually brilliant for where she was at and the same goes for NQTs I think ask them, do they, do they want some team teaching? Can they still observe someone, especially in the year they've had now? It's about, again, thinking outside the box, what tools might be able to help them. Mm. That's quite empowering, isn't it? To enable their voice to be part of what's, what's heard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Again, in your blog, you, you call the blog the grey areas of teaching, which I thought was really interesting and wondered whether that was an echo actually of that sort of transition time I was alluding to earlier, <laughs> where there's, there's that kind of shimmer about what on earth goes on between between year six and seven. What do you mean by the grey areas of teaching? I think it's quite a broad term. I think everything in teaching can be a grey area. It's everything is taught differently. Everything is not black and white. Mm. And I think it's really important to recognise, which in today's society, I think is even more important to recognise that everyone does have their own opinion. Sometimes on Twitter, you can feel like if you're going against the grain, people will just shout you down. There's not as much discussion sometimes. Mm. And I think that's what I mean by grey area. It's about the fact that actually most things in teaching could be a discussion. I'm sure whatever you wanted to find research for, you probably could. But it's about finding your own way and reading different opinions and finding finding your own place on the scale, I suppose, between that black and white that you're being shown. And I think the blog I wanted to be just something where I could write what I genuinely thought and what I genuinely felt and not be judged about it because it was being labeled as a gray area. And actually 
the reception's always been really good. I've been really honest on there about mental health, about um, the experience that I went through at my first school and advice that I've been given to NQTs. And I think it's responded well because I've tried to be quite authentic in it. And I think rather than saying this is the right opinion, it's well, this is my opinion. What do you think? And framing Mm. it that way. And that's what's the gray area, I think, is finding all those different opinions. It's really helpful for people in similar situations and probably very Mm -hmm. cathartic for you to put out what you've been through and your experiences and yeah I think that um, with social media and Twitter and all of these things actually the as the vehicles to provide that platform for us they're they're really valuable really powerful there was one initial post I did about it that it had a lot of views a lot of likes and a lot of comments and the amount of people who dm'd me after it saying I've been in this position and I've I felt so alone and that's the problem is when you are going through it you do feel alone and you can be surrounded by people but it's the most lonely feeling and I was really lucky that at the time I had a group I've got a good group of friends at home but on Twitter I had a supportive group and they actually sent me like a care package they were supporting me the whole time and they gave me the confidence to write things really by listening to me in the first instance and saying actually this will help someone else like Mm. they gave me the confidence to again I keep saying it but to have a voice and give other people who's who are in the same situation a voice as well to know that they can speak up and I've obviously never revealed where it was because that I don't think would be right but for people to know what type of school it was and, and how it made me feel, I think if it helps even one other person, then I'm more than happy to share my own experience. Mm, because they're real people behind these Twitter handles. Yeah, uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> Reflecting back on transition again in terms of vocabulary, I mean, certainly we've, you know, maybe it's almost been a something we've not given enough value to what happens in terms of vocabulary at transition and what does it look like in terms of the words we're using in key stage two to move into key stage three and certainly we know from latest word gap report that this avalanche of academic language really hits in in key stage three in year seven and can be a real barrier for some of our real bright cookies coming up just because it's not a familiar territory of language for them but I wonder what your view was on what an effective transition looks like and how vocabulary plays a part in that. For me, an effective transition should start as soon as possible. So ideally from September, really, even if you don't know which pupils are coming up or which schools you might have feeder children from, it's about sort of creating that community. And the school I mentioned before, where we had really good collaboration, he came in in October and did a secondary lesson to the children. Yeah. So he was using that vocabulary. and he- Was that an English teacher? No, he was a history teacher, actually. Yeah, and he was also the deputy, I believe. But he came over and just did a general secondary lesson about what secondary is like. Yeah. It was fantastic. It's something that I've, I'm recreating now in my role. And I just I just thought that was great because already they're hearing the language that's used. And there were some words that they were prompted to use that they sat there and thought, oh, I haven't heard this. And I thought then, oh, I should probably use this word a bit more now. Mm. Like justification. Like I wouldn't tell them to justify something yeah. within a lesson. I'd get them to explain. So actually it changed my language as well. So that was good. And I think even the language around transition, the children don't know it. So transition, the word transition itself, they they just know it as moving up to secondary. They don't know that, that it means change or they need to feel comfortable with that language. And then thirdly, you're correct, the, the gap between what you use in primary, although that is high language, it's just more varied in secondary school because they're, they have more subject specific lessons where they have experts teaching them. So in DT, my language was OK, I did it for A level, so I know some of it, but it's not going to be on the scale of a DT teacher using that language day in, day out. So it's it's the variation. So I think, again, it has to be about collaboration. Can secondary teachers maybe feed some of that vocabulary down to primary colleagues and say, you know what, these are the five keywords in my area. 
And then we can start tying them in more just to give the children more of a chance of understanding it. Yeah, great advice. And also it's something really tangible. I quite like that tangibility of, okay, these are the key words that we're going to need in September. Let's try and thread them through into year six with with our primaries. It, it feels like a real clear pathway, actually, to make that transition a bit a bit more supported between primary and secondary. Of course, the, the key factor is always time, isn't it? That's always our biggest barrier in teaching. We're just so busy. And to find the time to have those collaborations. But maybe maybe with what's happened through COVID, there are actually, you know, quicker, easier collaborative routes now that we can explore to help us have those conversations. I think it's a bigger investment at the beginning, but once you've got it set up, it should work year in, year out with some tweaking, some adaptations. And it's something that I have advised when I've done my Zoom trans- transition meetings over the last couple of weeks. That sounds like a spaceman, a Zoom transition. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> in those meetings, I've sort of said, you know, we've got, we've got Zoom now, we've got Teams. Like, there's no reason you can't do 50 schools at once and give them a lesson. And it won't be quite as interactive, but actually it makes us more available. It makes our time more effective absolutely and there are new ways of working now we don't have to go back to things just because that's how it was done mm. and yes we will still need to have face-to-face but actually there's other ways throughout the year that we can make it more effective now it's a definite win isn't it from 2020 yeah definite win yeah there has to be something doesn't there <laughs> yeah there really does there really does so let's have a look at your teacher self-care sunday hashtag why did that start and, and who's it for so again i think this is stemmed from the time I ended up, I ended up leaving my old school, um, the first school I was at, because I, I ended up going off with anxiety and that never quite goes away. So mm. every Sunday, even at schools, I was perfectly happy at my last school and it was still, still sort of creeping this dread of having to go back to work. And for me, I started being more vocal about it during lockdown because it obviously wasn't a great time for mental health for people. Mm. And I put something out one Sunday and I just said, I know there's no reason for me to feel this way, but I have awful dread about going back to work tomorrow I feel like I need to do something today to really keep my mind off it and so many people responded saying they felt the same and so many people said I just find it tricky to do anything on a Sunday because I'm so worried about the next day and it just sort of made me think well actually maybe we should do something to help other teachers feel as though there's sort of a community if you're having a bad day say you're having a bad day but actually let's share what we're all doing and let's sort of put a positive spin about it what could you specifically plan on a Sunday to help you overcome that for me I always share pictures of it I've got a beautiful bath caddy and I like to have a proper bath in the evening and and Mm. pamper myself and that makes me feel better I love seeing people go for walks the dinners they have even just watching a a tv program Mm. and I think it's really helped people to just feel as though there's someone to listen to them either way if it's good or bad and I would say it's for everyone I know it's called teacher self-care Sunday but anyone in education is welcome to join it it's just there for people to vent or talk to or, or it's just it's just something that's present just to verbalize verbalize what's what's going on in your head I, I think everybody listening to this Emily is going to be nodding right now because that's <laughs> Sunday night and you know what it's like after a holiday especially mm-hmm. I remember I really remember those moments of thinking oh, not sure I can do this looking at the timetable and thinking I haven't taught a lesson for six weeks I'm not sure I can do it and then you get back and you meet the kids again and you remember why you love them and, and you're just back in the swing and it's fine. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's that Sunday night moment that we all have a fear of what's coming, of the, of the next moment. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, I think people think that 
if you have Sunday night dread that you mustn't like the school you work at. And that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you've just had such a good weekend that you can't even get your head around the fact that you've got to go to work. Sometimes something's happened at the weekend that just makes you think, I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just think, actually, I need a mental health day. I just don't feel right going into school. But you you know, we're all teachers. We all go in when we shouldn't most of the time. And it's just, it's just, (laughs) it's just a place for us to really verbalize and say, this is how I'm feeling today. And most of the time people are really positive on that post. Mm. But I've written a few before where I said, do you know what? I'm not ready to go back tomorrow. My mental health's not good today. This is where I'm at. And actually that's when I get more responses because people Mm. feel as though they can maybe be more honest as well. So yeah, it's just a safe space really for people just to, to be happy or sad or share their feelings I think is a lovely idea and you know never more needed actually than now when we've been through what we've been through yeah I think that's really really innovative and thoughtful way of of talking with others and I think that maybe that's a large degree behind my passion for vocabulary because it's all about expression isn't it Mm -hmm. I'm you know we've all we've all taught those lessons where you have the frustration in the eyes of the pupils in front of you because they can't articulate what it is they want to say yeah and it's so intrinsically linked isn't it this sense of self-esteem and well-being and our vocabulary because that is the window of our expression without which we're struck dumb aren't we and I think especially on Twitter when you've only got a set amount of characters vocabulary becomes even more important there's more yes. meaning behind each word because yeah. it's a smaller a smaller area to express yourself as well I've used tweets quite a lot in lessons time right you've got right tweet about this what genre this is or whatever it is yeah it's, yeah. Quite, it's quite fun right we're going to finish up with some quick fires Emily yeah <laughs> are you ready brace yourself okay I think so <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay best book for the summer of year six I recommend this to everyone. It would be Go Big by Matthew Burton. It's just full of facts and information and fun Mm -hmm. tips about what it's like to be at secondary school. I got sent it when I got my new job by Bookwagon and it just, it helped me. So it's definitely going to help a child. Awesome. Yeah, I love that one too. Best educational quote. I'm not very good at quotes, but it's about teaching as a work of heart is the one that I use all the time or have in my classroom that oh that's lovely. If you're in teaching, yeah, you're in it because you care, don't you? So I think that would be the one I would choose. Nice. Most inspiring pupil story? This one's easier. Uh, When I was in year six, I had a girl who was not supposed to sit the sats for various reasons. And by the end of the year, she not only sat them, she passed them all. And on the Friday after stats week, she said, oh, is that it? Is that all we have to do? And that for me really epitomized how how I wanted that year to go for the children not to even notice stats week pass by because they were so relaxed and for this particular people to have felt that way and to have done so well I think that for me is a real highlight of my career so far brilliant oh let that ever be so that Sats week is just another week (laughs) yeah we had bacon sandwiches in the morning and in the afternoon nice they were all absolutely fine so top three tips for parents of year six pupils okay I think tip number one would be to help your child be as independent as possible as quickly as possible so I still have children in year six saying well my mum didn't get my pee kit ready it's not the parents job it should be the children's job Mm. so that would be my first tip try and help your child sort their own equipment out I'm still telling my year nine that (laughs) (laughs) yeah the year sevens aren't much better (laughs) the second tip I would say is with homework as well they need to build that independence. So let them have a go. It doesn't matter if they get it right or wrong. I'm not looking for right answers. It's about how they approach it and just sort of building that perseverance Mm. uh, and determination to do something. So again, I suppose that's about independence. And the third one, I would say, try and be relaxed about SATs in the same way that most teachers should be. You know, the result doesn't matter. 
And I say that to year six parents who come speak to me, it doesn't matter if they, if they're good at maths, but they fail their stats, we will pass that on to secondary schools. Although they are a test, they really don't have a huge impact and not to worry about them. I think they seem a bit of a mystery to parents sometimes or that it's their memory of exams, but actually it's about helping your child be as relaxed as possible about them. So my biggest advice would be just talk about them as little as possible and make your child feel comfortable about doing them and emphasize it's about your best effort, not your best result, which I'm sure most parents do anyway. But Great advice, Emily. And finally, and this one links in a little bit with the Sunday night thing, because I think if you, if you get this nailed, then it helps on a Monday morning. What's your favorite go-to for workwear? New look for me every time. I just think I can walk in there and I know I'm going to come out with something that I can wear at work. Teacher ready. Yep, everything's in there. (laughs) You can get whole outfits all at once. So new look is my go-to. I love a dress because it's just so easy. (laughs) Yeah, it's just one thing to put on in the morning. You don't have to think too much. Brilliant. (laughs) Emily, it's been such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks. Great fun. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com slash education slash podcasts.